You creep around the large tree to investigate the squawking sound. You see a long, slender tail raising up to a mouth full of teeth. Ooh, ooh is it a velociraptor? You bet it is. <laughs> Does it have feathers or scales? Well, it's it's a dinosaur. It has scales. Oh, well, then it's not a velociraptor. They have feathers, according to science. To, to science? All right, fine. Whatever. Yeah, it has feathers. Perfect. All right, everybody. Let's kill this bird, stuff it, then eat it. Whoa, 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 what? Well, it's Thanksgiving next weekend, and I'm getting me some prehistoric turkey. In this episode of Becoming DM, it's our fourth installment of My Favorite Monster. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And before we get started today, I just want to take a moment to say Happy Thanksgiving to our American listeners. We're releasing this on Thanksgiving Day, as we have for the past couple of years. So this is our third Thanksgiving Day episode. So thank you for joining us for this and all the previous Thanksgivings uh, that you've joined us for. Um, Hopefully this can be a way for you to de-stress from the family Thanksgiving stuff, take a step away, maybe listen to us for a little bit before you wade back into the fray. Um, So happy Thanksgiving, again, if you're in America. Otherwise, happy Thursday. Uh, (laughs) So as a way of intro, uh, as we mentioned, this is our fourth uh, My Favorite Monster series where we talk about monsters, uh, some of their characteristics, maybe how to use them in your game, uh, some tactics to, to go go through with them, stuff like that. Um, now, as we, uh, as we were planning this episode, it was a little bit more challenging than some of the past ones. And, and part of that is because, um, Danielle, you, you mentioned that, that a lot of the monsters you use are, are homebrew, right? You bet. I, I, like, uh, I, I like being able to challenge my players in a way that they can't look it up and figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, also, I think it's more fun to just kind of, you know, because you, you can fit anything to your theme if you just make it up. Yeah, I think that that may actually be a a nice idea for a future episode is talking about homebrewing monsters since you have um, background and experience doing that. So that might be something that we want to want to take a look at revisiting. Yeah, for sure. So let's get to our first uh, first monster, and and this one is one that uh, that is is your monster to bring to the table. So I'm going to let <laughs> you do the introduction on them. We can have a little bit of back and forth from there. All right, sounds good. Well, my favorite monster to use from the monster manuals or the bestiary, I think the bestiary for Pathfinder yep. has them, um, is dinosaurs. I I love dinosaurs. It's that that five-year-old thing that just kind of like stuck with me. Is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're found on the in the monster manual for D&D. It, they're on page 79. Uh, oh, and in the bestiary, they're on 83 to 86. So if you're looking for the dinosaurs, they are in there. You have access to them. Uh, for those of you who do not know what dinosaurs are, they are... <laughs> they're if you giant... didn't go through kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> they're giant reptiles uh, or terrible lizards, um, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, they range... They have a huge range of size. Full-grown, they range from... Um, Every everything small, medium, large, and huge creatures. Uh, anybody who's seen like uh, the Jurassic Park series has a pretty good idea about the general look and feel about what these these creatures kind of look like. 
Or if you've um, seen the latest movie on Netflix, Velocipaster, I think it's Netflix, or maybe it's Prime. <laughs> Velocipaster, you should definitely check that one out, too. <laughs> you know, I've been meaning to watch that, but every time I see it, I just don't have the time to to get into it. But why, why, is it good? <laughs> Did you oh, it, it? I mean, it's good in the fact of bad movies being good, but <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good. Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely on my list. But uh, so, yeah, there's there's lots of variety and options. And, you know, you can do crazy things with them. You know, maybe maybe they're, you know, running the church of the town. <laughs> but uh, so there's there's lots of different types of dinosaurs um, and it gives you a whole bunch of flexibility. So with this, it's it's not necessarily a specific monsters because we're kind of looking at an entire class of monsters here with dinosaurs. Right, right. But they don't get used that often. And so, well, I don't. I don't think that they get talked about that much, like in D and D, because a lot of people use like griffins and, and goblins and stuff like that. But dinosaurs can can have a lot of fun. Um, they they you can change the entire fauna of your of your landscape with dinosaurs. Yeah, and and I mean the because it's a class of monsters, you can kind of set up an entire worldscape that that is largely based upon dinosaurs being the creatures that inhabit it because you've got things like like those carnivores that are going to be more predatory and and do hunting and track down their prey and and kill and eat them or you've got herbivores that um that could either be just like docile and and they just want to stay to their own or you could have herbivores that really are protecting their territory so it, it gives you a lot of um a lot of different ways to use them and and i mean in addition to the types where we're talking about carnivore versus herbivore versus territorial and predatory and stuff like that uh you have a number of different um ways that they can interact with the environment uh, obviously when we think about dinosaurs a lot of the time we think about like your triceratops your tyrannosaurus rex that are all kind of land-based but you can also have um, like your pterodactyls and your um, I'm not going to remember the name of it, but there's there's water based ones, too. So you could have flying, <laughs> get a water and really have kind of a, a, a very diverse diaspora of, of dinosaurs that are in your game. Oh, absolutely. Just a little bit of research, like you said, because you can have a pterodactyl in the air, but there's 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 a massive variety of these things right and so you don't just have to throw in a pterodactyl you can have you know quetzalcoatlus who can be flying around and and they're a lot bigger and and so you can change the dynamics of of what's going on you can you can have a lot of fun with uh with dinosaurs yep now before we continue i should probably make a confession i have never actually used a dinosaur in in game and some of that really was just um thematically it really didn't fit with what i had set up to that point now the in in my game i mentioned that the the players are kind of going to dimensionally travel to a a post-apocalyptic um our world in the disney world area uh so I, I could see maybe something happening there where I actually do start to bring stuff in because there there is like a Jurassic Park ride at, at one of the one of the parks. <laughs> so I could see maybe something magically animating the the dinosaurs in that and having them be part of the in part part of the game. And now that I'm saying that, I'm absolutely gonna do that. I hadn't really put a whole <laughs> lot of thought into it until just now. So um players, if you're listening, dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Coming to a park near you. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that that's the hardest part about dinosaurs is is when we think of them, they've got their very own time period and era and and all this stuff. And so in a lot of senses, they don't usually fit into the games that we're playing. Because yep. when you're thinking medieval, you're like, oh, yes, Saya, I'll hitch the wagon as a T-Rex walks past. It never, like, <laughs> the story just doesn't generally work like that, in my mind, at least. Um, yeah, but I, I think that I think that um, even though they may not, from a quote-unquote medieval thematic thing, not work, we're talking about worlds that have magic and dragons and all sorts of stuff so you could you could very easily if you wanted to have them in your game you could very easily make the justification of why they're there without having to go way far afield i mean you could say that they're they're a distant cousin of of dragons i mean they're kind of both reptilian style creatures and stuff like that so it's not that far of a thing you just have to i think um be willing to uh do a little bit of explaining as to why they might be there. Yeah, very true. Um, and yeah, you can just you can just throw these suckers in there. I uh, I just I ch- I cheaped out. I just teleported my entire party back in time, <laughs> so there I didn't have to explain anything. I was like time portal and dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, dinosaurs—they're awesome. Um, so a little bit of talk on you know, the, the stats of the dinosaurs, yep. um, because there's so many different types of dinosaurs. We can break out some of the highlights between them. Uh, so as we mentioned before, there's lots of different sizes. There's lots of different CRs as well. You can get monster or sorry, dinosaurs from all the way down from like a quarter CR all the way up to 10 plus. I mean, maybe not in the original monster manual, <clears throat> but there are some, very dangerous dinosaurs out there, especially with their size, right? Because you can get some that are are absolutely massive. Yep. I mean, those are usually herbivores. And and you're right. Uh, if you look in just basically the base monster manual and the base bestiary, it's going to have some dinosaurs there. Um, it's not going to have all of them because there are a ton of different kinds of dinosaurs that, that have, have existed in, in reality. So either you can look in other monster sources i think volos may have some i'm pretty sure the other bestiaries two three four five whatever uh probably have some as well or uh you can use what's in the the first books as a template for other dinosaurs that you want to uh introduce into your game and you can do a little homebrew right Absolutely. Plus, there's uh, there's lots of websites that have uh, full dinosaur sets um, already built out that you can just Google them. Google Dinosaurs 5e. You'll find homebrew stuff that you can just throw in if you really, really wanted to have a like a Carno in your game. Have them yep. tramp in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so with most dinosaurs, though, uh, you're going to be looking at a lot of high strength, high constitution with AC because of armor plates and lizardy skin um, with not so much intelligence and charisma. Right. You're not going to you're probably not going to run into unless you homebrew it like a wizarding 
dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) You've been fighting the Tyrannosaurus Rexes all day, and you feel like you've come to know them until this one casts a fireball at you. (laughs) (laughs) He starts waving his tiny arms. You're not sure what he's doing. Now, the one thing to note when we talk about stats um, is that that generally speaking, they all have, well, I wouldn't necessarily call it high, I would say that they have decent uh, wisdom, like around 12, 13 or so. And and this is, again, goes to a situational awareness, um, uh, uh, just being observant and understanding who the biggest baddest is and and who to avoid kind of thing i i and we'll talk a little bit about some of their tactics and how to use them here in a little bit but um just bear in mind that that even though they have really low intelligence um they they do have a a decent wisdom score as well Mm -hmm. i think most beasts most of the like the beast class has decent or wisdom sorry because for survival yep (laughs) um so yeah, uh, as far as like special abilities go, obviously they're not going to be cracking any puzzles or casting any spells, um, but these things have strength, right? So they can bash through most things that your party could try to stop them with um, if they really wanted to. Yep. And s- some of the dinosaurs, like uh, the T-Rex, have the ability to do multi-attack. Um, That's in D&D, yeah. Oh, right, in D&D. Um, and if you if you look in Pathfinder, the T Rex has um, has a special ability that I saw this and I was like, oh, I have to use this monster. <laughs> <laughs> it has the swallow hole ability, and so so basically the way that works is when in combat they can use a, a combat maneuver check, and if they're successful. Um, the target's going to take bite damage and is swallowed. Um, so they're considered grappled, and and they'll take damage every turn. Um, and the and the T Rex can continue doing whatever it wants to do, uh, even though the the character is considered grappled. And they um, there's there's an armor class and a hit points that they have to do have to surpass. Like if they want to attack to try and get out of the T Rex's stomach, and if they do that, they can get out. Um, but I think that's a lot of fun. <laughs> and, and if there's if there's a T-Rex in Disneyland that swallows one of your party's whole, that AC, you might want to bump that up a little bit because it's not going to be soft insides on that T-Rex. It's going to be machine. <laughs> <laughs> More ideas. <laughs> yeah. So so uh yeah, so that's that's a T-Rex. He's got that swallow hole in the Pathfinder. And then uh, you've got lots of other dinosaurs like uh, the Ankylosaurus. Um, most people, I think, I think people can kind of picture this one. It's it's kind of like the turtle version of a dinosaur, but a lot spikier with a giant club tail on the back of it. I like and, to think of uh, it as like a little ball, like a like a rock ball on the end of its tail that it swings around. Yeah, that's that's it's it's basically just made out of like bone structure. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, so it has the ability to stun a target in Pathfinder. And in yep. D&D, the ability for the Ankylosaurus is to knock a target prone, kind of like a, like the whip chain, right? Because it's just, it's just a swinging heavy object. Uh, and it, it'll come in like a wrecking ball and knock you down. Yep. 
And I mean, there there are going to be other dinosaurs with other special abilities. Uh, we could probably spend a whole episode going through all the dinosaurs in the game and their special abilities. And and Danielle would probably be be super stoked about that. <laughs> um, uh, but but we're not going to necessarily focus on that. Take a look at the at the monster manual, the beast area, to see what's out there. Uh, really, the core focus though is going to be on on attacking with with bites, claws, or or hitting hitting stuff with with their tail. Um, so just bear that in mind. These are kind of the brute force. They're not uh, necessarily worried about springing uh, a trap or anything like that. They're just gonna gonna attack when they attack. Oh, def- yeah. They well, they're they're just wild animals, right? Yep. And along with the biting and clawing, there's also going to be a lot of charging, right? Because you've got all the triceratops and your pachycephalosaurus with their with their hard skulls and things like that. Um, so they're just going to bash into things. Uh, as far as resistances and immunities go, um, their resistances and immunities are none. They are dinosaurs. Um, they are <laughs> they're just regular living <laughs> creatures. They are susceptible to to meteorites. <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of wish that they had put that on the, uh, on the, on the weaknesses on, on the, on the stat block. That would have been It really fun. should be in there. Like any caster who could just cast meteorite at, at a dinosaur <laughs> should just win. <laughs> like it's extinct now. They're all dead. All of them. Um, but yeah, so, other than that, yeah. So so let's talk about how we use them in the game and uh, what sort of encounters that they might have, what sort of things that they might do during combat. And and just like before, this is going to, we've got uh, various types of dinosaurs. So depending upon the type of dinosaur, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to um, change how you use them. But... Uh, Broad brush strokes, uh, generally speaking, you're going to find dinosaurs in in uh, more moderate and warmer climates or possibly aquatic areas if you have a, a water dinosaur like the plesiosaurs and stuff like that. Um, um, but uh, but what about it? Are, are they like do they do they run solo or, or, or stuff like that? What do you think, Daniel? I think uh, that, again, because we've got such a wide variety of... Uh of dinosaurs you can find them almost however you like but for the most part um as with most animals you'll find them in large groups just because herbivores are more prevalent in uh in any sort of ecosystem right because Mm -hmm. you can't have more carnivores than herbivores that doesn't work so even even still though the t-rex can be found in groups of like three to six so you'll have you'll have uh, a mother and and a couple of adolescents and possibly a couple younger ones even um kind of like uh, most or like a the same type of things that would happen with with our modern day animals right where you have a mom rearing young and the young will stay with the mom for a while and they create little packs and pods or or prides like lions i don't know if t-rex did the prides thing um but you know what you could just do it, it because it's your game it, you could decide that they do yeah. <laughs> if you don't have somebody at your table who's going to argue with you on on the living situations of dinosaurs uh, you can just you can just do it <laughs> Yeah, those um, those uh, if you if you have a, a, a an archaeologist or or somebody that studies dinosaurs, 
uh, you may want to you may want to get some feedback from them before introducing these guys. <laughs> yeah, I have I have I have an anthropologist and uh, a couple of um, studying paleontologists in my in my game, and so. I had to be very careful with what I chose to put where and keep it all <laughs> keep it all nice and smooth because they will call you out on it. Um so hopefully you guys don't have that. <laughs> you can just you can just roll with it. <laughs> and, and and I will say that that is probably one of the one of the larger challenges with introducing dinosaurs into your game is that dinosaurs are something that that kids learn about in kindergarten and first grade, and some kids get really into it. And even if they're not a, a paleontologist or, or, or in any sort of science thing, they may have been so obsessed with dinosaurs as a kid that they like, oh, well, this is an ankylosaurus, so I know that they do these things. And and you're like, well, the rules don't say that, so I don't know what to do here. But um, Remember, uh, remember, it's kind of the core rule of of, of role playing games is as you as the as the DM GM are the final arbiter of the rules. So if you decide that you need to change up to to match what uh, what reality what reality is, you can. Or if you want to just say, listen, that may be reality, but we're not in our world. So uh, what you know about dinosaurs may or may not be accurate. Absolutely. And another thing you can do is just don't name the dinosaur. Right, you can mm-hmm. describe it and have them think, "Oh, yeah, that's definitely an ankylosaurus," but it's actually just, you know, a, a sister breed to that, right? A sister species because you have large build little birds and small build little birds of the same species. The same thing will happen back in the prehistoric days. So just don't name it, and then they don't know exactly, anyways. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how the party might encounter these. And again, because we had, we kind of categorized them into three different categories earlier. So we'll continue with that. Um, with uh, with carnivores, um, I, I think that the 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 low hanging fruit, the easy way to introduce them is to have the party be in an area where they're being hunted by the carnivore. Maybe they're they're the 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 dinosaurs looking for its dinner, and the party looks like just the right fit for that. And uh, and so they could be they could be hunting the party, which is always always kind of a fun fun encounter, right? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, everybody loves being hunted, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, make you feel like the turkey this year. Uh, so you, yeah, you can have different kinds of uh, hunts coming after you. It depending on what you're after, as far as flavor for the game. If you want to really build up that suspense, then a good one to do that with is, is say a T-Rex, right? Because you could hear them coming. Think of the glass with the water, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're looking in the puddle, they can see it, they can feel it and they know it's coming. They can't outrun it. It's bigger than them, you know, stuff like that. Or you can have them get completely cornered with things like velociraptors who hunt in packs and are actually really smart hunters. Um, and so you can, you can really set up, very different kinds of encounters with different kinds of uh, of dinosaurs. There's also all of the scavenging carnivores who yep. say these guys just just did a, a kill thing and they've got it killed. Well, now there's there's a scavenger who's caught whiff of the battle and heard the battle and and maybe they're coming over to say hi and you end up fighting <laughs> with them as well. Yeah, and in in those cases, they may not decide to openly attack the party. But they may take like claim to a, a corpse or something, and if you try to do something to the corpse, then you may be in a, in a fight at that point. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're they are also hungry. So yeah, you can you can set up some really interesting encounters that way. Uh, you also have so those are the carnivores, but then you also have like just herbivores, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's basically two different kinds of herbivores. There's your docile herbivores who probably are going to run away when they see the party. Um, they know their dinner. They they <laughs> <laughs> they know what they are. Um, yeah, and they they're not looking for a fight, right? Because they they just want to sit around and eat leaves. Um, and so, yeah, if your party really wants to kill them, they can chase them. Uh, something to note here that can be really fun, though, is if your party does spook a bunch of docile herbivores, you can start a stampede, which is something yep. that is fun to throw into a game. Well, and the other thing that you could potentially do tying into the stampede is when your party um, comes upon a, a group, a herd of, of these docile herbivores, maybe they haven't been noticed yet and they're just observing them to see what's going on. And then um, something spooks them and they do start uh, a stampede and they start a stampede towards the players because they haven't recognized that they're there because another a, car, a, a group of carnivore dinosaurs have have approached from the other side. So there's there's some interesting ways that you can use them, even if they may not be um, the most interesting combat uh, uh, monsters, creatures that you can you can use in your game. Mm hmm. Um- and the the more interesting herbivore, <laughs> the second type, is a territorial herbivore. Now, some dinos- or some of the herbivores are just naturally territorial, uh, but also consider the fact that even your most docile herbivores, uh, so your party has encountered these, you know, 20 times, and every time they just sat there and ate leaves or ran away. But this time there's young, right? Uh, even the most docile herbivore will defend its young. And so you can surprise the party that way. um, And then they become territorial herbivores in that, in that respect. Uh, But yeah, so they will, they will defend a specific area, usually their nest or, or feeding grounds, whatever it is that they happen to be protecting. um, And they will do basically whatever they can to, to stop you from doing that. If they're just defending their home, not their young, uh, they will defend until, you know, it's like, I'm not going to win this. It's not worth dying over. Then they'll leave. But if they're defending their the young, keep in mind that most of the the mothers will fight to the absolute death. They're not going to run away or give up. Um, they're just well, unless somebody does something to the babies, and then then they'll leave because then it's not worth it anymore. Yeah, and we're getting a little bit into how they fight, but be- right before we yeah, go there, I, I do want to <laughs> call out while while um, while some herbivores will only be territorial. When they are protecting something like like their young, their home, stuff like that, there are some herbivores that will just be territorial regardless. I'm thinking like the Triceratops, who um, even though is is not a carnivore, can be very aggressive. It's it's really built to be aggressive. Um, so sees you and, and wants to chase you off, uh, regardless of if it's got young to protect or not. So just keep in mind that that. Um, even though every herbivore can be territorial, some are are al- almost always territorial. Mm-hmm. Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully 
assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by level, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. So let's go ahead and 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 kind of continue the discussion about how they fight because I think this is an important thing to to understand uh, for all three of these types of dinosaurs. Um, first off, how they're uh, how they how they choose their their targets as well as when they're going to decide I'm done fighting or if they're going to decide I'm done fighting uh, because I think that's really important when you start introducing any monster into the game, but especially uh, creatures like these that are that are these massive beasts. So let's maybe jump in with uh, with carnivores. And as we mentioned before, a lot of the encounters that are that are built around the carnivores are going to be because they are hunting oftentimes the party, but could be other 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 creatures, uh, but hunting for food. And and so if they're if they're fighting with the party, I, the way that I kind of look at it is they're they're going to use that that pretty decent wisdom score to perceive who in the party might be the weakest, and and go after them because really if you're if you're if you're hunting for a snack, you want the one that's going to fight you back the least. Um, <laughs> uh, so leverage that wisdom and and yeah you can do it with a role and, and set a difficulty for them to understand who's the weakest and you can do a role with their with their wisdom bonuses and stuff like that but i think it it, it makes sense for them to be able to have something that helps them understand um who in the party is the weakest who might be a good target for them absolutely well it's like lions do that right it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's not like they're sitting around reading books, but they can definitely single out the weakest one of the herd, chase them down. But I think a lot of that is they just start chasing them, and whoever sucks the most, they just go after. <laughs> <laughs> you suck the most. You're my dinner. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah, super unfortunate for the antelope, but uh, so that could also play into how they're how they're choosing their target, right? Um, which could be interesting, especially like with a large T-Rex, because they're they're really big, right? And so you have this barbarian hacking away at its feet, which is obviously painful for it, and it sees this little squishy caster just past the barbarian. Well, maybe the T-Rex is just going to like step over the barbarian, grab a wizarding snack, and then just, you know, carry on. <laughs> Yeah, and and when you when you think about it that way, when they're when they're really getting their dinner, the important thing to note is that at least when I run monsters like this, they're not going to just keep fighting once they have dinner. Um, they're they're there to to get their meal, and if they get that, especially with the Pathfinder swallow ability, I kind of feel like if they can swallow somebody, they're just going to leave the field of battle and like <laughs> head out so that they can digest their meal in peace and. And screw you guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and if they need another meal later, they'll track down the party again and, and be like, yeah, these guys were easy enough last time. I'll just go back again. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as them going after the party, because you said just tracking them down again, keep in mind that uh, 
the dinosaurs actually have pretty good speed. Some of them do. Uh, so speaking directly of the T-Rex, um, in D&D, the T-Rex has a move speed of 50 feet. And I believe in Pathfinder, it's 40, mm-hmm. uh, which is still good enough to to catch the the little party running away for a, for a quick snack. Yeah, so you could you could really leverage this into um uh, again, if they if they get their target that they want to eat and and the target could be somebody traveling with the party, it could be a member of the party, whatever it is, they could rush in, kind of do this this like blitzkrieg style attack and chomp on somebody and if they get them get them uh swallowed or whatever or 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 down them or whatever, um they could really just pick them up and run uh the next turn. So that that and and put a a good amount of distance between themselves and the party. Mm-hmm. And you want to really freak out the party. Have one of the party members be stolen. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really good inciting incident, uh, especially if you're trying to get your party to go in a certain direction. Um, having them having one of the party members be run off in the belly of a beast is a great way to motivate them to a, to a particular direction. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so they'll come in and they can swallow whole or just drag off their meal, right? If they're not big enough to completely swallow them whole. But, um, so that, that's the carnivores. They, and they can do so many other things, but let's talk about how the docile, um, herbivores will, will fight, right? Yeah. And when we talk about these, um, we're not going to talk, we're not going to lump them in as like the docile herbivores that are, that have become territorial, um, this is just strictly docile. They're not protecting territory or anything like that. Um, and we'll talk about the people that are always territorial as well as the ones that turn territorial in the next section. So uh, just jumping in there for that. I'll, I'll let you continue on. <laughs> you bet. Um, so with docile herbivores, their goal is to get away from the fighting. They they mm-hmm. are docile. They don't want to fight. Um, if they take injuries, that, that's hard on their survival. So they just, they just want to leave. Um, if if they're forced to fight, they will attempt to take out whoever's in their path of escape, which is different from, you know, your carnivores looking for a snack. These guys are looking to just get out of there. So if they're not they're not going for for who's the strongest or who's the weakest, they're literally whatever is blocking my way to get away from here, that's where I'm going. Whether I have to bite you, claw you, trample you, whatever it is, they are running away and if and if you're in their way that's that's you're the person who's going to get attacked and and if there is a path that doesn't have somebody blocking their way that's typically going to be their their path they're going to choose that path of least resistance if it's available mhm yeah and and if you completely corner them like they they say fight like a cornered animal um they will fight and fight until there is a path something some way for them to escape and then they will immediately take that because that is their sole goal. Um, they're not now, going to develop a vengeance and be like, no, you hit me too many times. Now you must die. <laughs> now, it's important to uh, to note that this is something that can be used by the players because the, the characters are presumably a lot smarter than the, than the docile herbivores. Um, so if they were really trying to... Um, Let's say start a dinosaur farm. <laughs> they for for these docile herbivores, they could basically set up a trap to kind of herd them into the one open getaway spot that really is where they want them to go to corral them into a cage or whatever. So, uh, it, it 
it, it's if your players kind of go that route, I would say roll with it because that's that's really for for a creature like this that's that should work for a, a lot of the time. It it really should. That's basically how herding works. You know, you present some really bad options and a couple of really good options, and, yep. <laughs> and they go. You know, because dinosaurs have a relatively high wisdom, and so they will know what path makes the most sense for escape. They're not going to look at like a waterfall of lava and an open cave pathway and think, yeah, definitely the lava is closest. I'm just going to hop off that ledge. They're not going to do that. <laughs> They're smarter <laughs> than that. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. So let's maybe move on to territorial herbivores, and and in contrast to the to the docile herbivores, the territorial ones, their goal is to get dangerous enemies out of their territory. Um, so they're gonna they're really gonna look, I think, at the at who is the biggest threat. So based upon again their their relatively high wisdom. Who's the one that looks like they're going to cause the most trouble? Uh, who's the one that's doing the most damage to their family, their herd, whatever? Um, and and who's the one that's encroached the most on their territory? If they're especially if they're protecting children, if you've got one party member that is way closer to eggs or children or whatever, then that's going to make that's going to help them make the decision on who to attack. So it, it really is kind of a an evaluation of threat level at that point. Mhm. Yeah, they they it, it's kind of like uh what do they say when you go to prison, you you deck the biggest guy in the yard, right? Because yep. if you if you can take out well, how they're probably thinking of it, right? If you take out the most threatening thing and all of the less threatening things can see that while they're going to be less likely to attack. And so they are going to go for the strongest, uh, biggest guy in the yard, so to speak. Yep. And, uh, and, and when you compare them to the other two types of, of dinos that we've talked about, uh, these are really going to be the least likely to flee. So your carnivores, I, I feel like if the, if the tide of battle is, is going against them, they are going to probably be the most, or I, I guess they're going to be the second most likely because they're, they're not going to die just for a, for a meal. Um, unless they just haven't had meal for, for weeks, months, whatever they're, they know that they can always find another meal somewhere else. So they're not going to typically stick around to die. Um, the, the, the docile herbivores we've already talked about, their main goal is to get away. So they are going to try and get away even before the first hit lands. <laughs> They're just like, I, I'm out of here. Um, where this type of dino, it, it has something that it has a vested interest in protecting children, food source, the pack, uh, eggs, whatever it may be. And so they are the absolute least likely to the point that um, depending upon what they're protecting, they may fight until the death um, in, in your battle. So something to keep in mind as you as you plan out these dino battles, um, what the players are going to have to do if they actually want to, quote unquote, defeat uh, the dinosaur. <laughs> defeat. <laughs> we will have victory. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there's and and that's why I love dinosaurs. Is there's or dinosaurs as a monster? Well, you know what? But I just love dinosaurs. Um, in D and D though, or Pathfinder is there's they're incredibly versatile. They're well known. Most people know about them, have seen something about them, and so they can picture them really easily. Um, 
and for me personally, like I, I live in the dinosaur capital of the world. Dinosaurs is is my entire town's jam, right? So that's what we do. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's just it's just fun, and I like it, and it would be cool to see like more dinosaurs. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that's that's my favorite. What what about you? Well, um, this episode, I'm going to talk about the cockatrice. Um, some people may say cockatrice, cockatrice, um, whatever, how you ever want to want to say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, this one is found on page 42 of the Monster Manual for D&D or page 48 of the first bestiary for Pathfinder First Edition. And really, this monster uh, looks kind of like a combination of a chicken I want to say turkey, but it doesn't have a little gobbler on it. But chicken, a lizard, and a bat. Uh, it's got kind of wither- leathery wings and this like really nas- gnarly looking beak that, that it can attack you. And it's kind of got those chicken looking legs. Um, so overall, kind of a, an ugly little creature. <laughs> um, it, so it's classified in Pathfinder as a small magical beast or in D&D as a, as a small monstrosity. So they are small. They're not, they're not massive light. We're kind of switching gears from the, from the dinosaurs here. Um, and, and one of the reasons I do like them is because they do have uh, flight capability. And that, in my mind, gives some interesting options for how you set up encounters. Because it's not just like, hey, there's these guys on the ground in front of you. Um, just like you can with the dinosaurs, with some of the flying dinosaurs, you you can really have that that multi-dimensional battle space. Yeah, it's nice when you have things that can kind of get up into the air. It uh, it can really change how you present the the encounter to the party as well, um, depending on how you want to use it. Because they can start on the ground or head up to the head up to the I don't know whatever's around the trees or the roof or or what have you. Um, but yeah, like you said, creating that multi multi tiered battle space. Let's let's jump into the the stats discussion. Um, they're kind of a little bit the, in in some ways they're a little bit the opposite of dinosaurs because they they have a uh, reasonably high dex, uh, but really low strength and uh, and and they have like the dinosaurs they have really low intelligence, um, low charisma and 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 decently high wisdom. Um, when you look at putting them into your game in D and D, they are only a half of a CR, uh, which is interesting because with a like a party of third levels, that means that for a regular encounter, you could have six of these things uh, um, <laughs> flying around. And I, I think that as we get into some of their special abilities, you'll understand why that's uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, um, now, in Pathfinder, they do have a challenge rating of three, so they are considered a little bit more uh, difficult to 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 fight against and stuff like that in that in that system. So yeah, so the main attack is going to be like a bite because you, as you said before, they have that uh, that gnarly beak. Um, mm-hmm. So, but they can claw and stuff like that. I don't know if there's there's stats in the in the book as far as claws, but they will have little claws because they chickens, right? Well, I mean, it's not a chicken; it's cockatrice, but they scratch at the ground and stuff. <laughs> They have they have really sharp little little feet <laughs> going on. Yeah, there. really. As far as the like the rules is written, the, the monster in the book, it's really focused on that on that beak. Um, I'm sure that if you wanted to have them be able to claw, 
uh, being as they can fly, they could fly and claw with their their little feet. You would just have to have to make a uh, uh, make some adjustments to the to the monster for that. Mm-hmm. Well, even if it's because uh, it 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 could be not in there because it's not going to deal enough damage, but it could be something that helps them. You know, in other areas, the same as uh, yep. beating their wings, right? Because I, I don't not I'm not sure if you've ever picked up a live chicken, um, but even just a regular chicken, not a special magical chicken, um, <laughs> <laughs> when they when they beat their wings, they'll they can bruise bruise your bruise your arms and actually break skin. They they hit you so hard with it. Yep. Yeah, and and these monsters, they're not what I would call super tough and with a, with a challenge rating as low as it is, that shouldn't be all that surprising. Um, with a, a 15 AC in Pathfinder and an 11 in, in D and D, they're not going to take a whole lot of hits. It's not going to take a lot to dispatch them. Um, <laughs> which is why it's kind of interesting that you could, for a party of, uh, a level three party, you could have six of these because again, you've got that whole action economy that, that can, can start to turn in your favor depending upon the size of the party. Um, but really where the challenge for this monster comes from, it's not uh, it's not how much hits they can take. It's not um, it's really not even the the damage from their main attack. It's their special ability. and mm-hmm. and that special ability is is petrification. So um, I'm gonna let you kind of talk about the the how d and d handles the petrification, then I'll jump in for the Pathfinder if that works out for you. Yeah, no, that works out. I mean, I was already talking about dinosaurs, talking about petrification just kind of swoops right in on that, that same <laughs> level. <laughs> uh, so with D&D, on a successful bite from the cockatrice, um, the character must make a DC 11 constitution saving throw against being petrified. Um, if if your unfortunate party member fails this save, which... Uh, it should be pretty easy to beat at an 11, but if they do happen to fail this save, um, they are turned to stone, and they, they then classify as being restrained, uh, obviously, because they are now a statue. Um, yep. So it repeats at the end of the next turn, and if they fail again, they're petrified for 24 hours. Um, so yeah, they just, they just turn into a statue, like a, like a DC 11 constitution saving throw. That's, that's not a crazy high, um, saving throw to make. But, but if you have, if you have players that have created a spellcaster or a rogue that made constitution, maybe a dump stat or not quite a dump stat, but close to a dump stat, um, (laughs) where maybe they have no bonus or they have a negative bonus to it. Um, it, it could be interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely could be, especially when, you know, if they do f- happen to fail the second save and uh, then your party, the rest of your party with the good constitution kills the rest of the birds and then they're just packing you around on a wagon for the next 24 hours <laughs> or just Yeah, or they, they have to decide, it. can we can we wait here? Is it safe enough to wait here to, to have them recover? Um, are we in really hostile territory? Uh, it makes some some uh, gives the party a opportunity to make some interesting choices there. It absolutely does. Um, <laughs> you can have a lot of fun with with petrification in that regard. I I like to be a little bit careful with petrification though, because if you happen to petrify a single character, mm-hmm. and uh, and then if you do 
happen to do that in an area where they are in a lot of danger, you're really likely then for your party to move on or try to gain shelter or something. And if there happens to be another combat or more stuff that goes on, you have one player at your table who just can't join anything. Yeah, it definitely cuts someone out of the table. So if you're wanting to make sure that everybody still stays invested in the game and pays attention and you don't have this one player that like just, all right, I'm out. I'm going to pull out my phone and and play Candy Crush or (laughs) whatever. Uh, You might want to have some some thing that that uh, petrified player is able to do that keeps them as part of the game, even though their character is not part of the game. Whether that's like, hey, now you get to run uh, run this monster, or or here's an NPC that you get to run until your player is until your character is not petrified, um, or I just need you to track these things for me. Whatever it is to keep them involved, because uh, when you take somebody out of the game like that, it can be a distraction for the rest of the players as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it can. Well, when you have anybody sitting at the table who's not doing anything they're more likely to just kind of start uh talking to everybody else and that's the trouble with petrification is they can't move they can't speak and and you can't even use them as a spy because they're unaware of their surroundings right they're completely incapacitated and so there is there is quite literally nothing they can do until they are no longer a statue so now with with Pathfinder, um, they do have a, a petrification ability as well. The mechanics are a little bit different, so I thought it would be good to go over that uh, too. So on a on a successful hit, the character must make a DC twelve Fortitude saving throw, and if they fail that, they lose one D four Dexterity points. And so this. Um, this represents kind of a slow petrification, <laughs> and. If they continue to get hit, um, they continue to lose more dexterity points. And if they get to zero, they are turned to stone and petrified. And 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 that's pretty much all she wrote. And then every day after that, they can make a DC 12 fortitude saving throw to try and recover. And if they do, um, they, they regain one dexterity point and then they have to do their normal... Uh, stat point recovery, which in, in Pathfinder First Edition is pretty much one per day of rest or or, or recovering it for, for magical means. So uh, depending upon how high that dexterity score started, it could really uh, delay the party if they don't have any magical means of restoring uh, that dexterity. Yeah, and thematically, I think I like Pathfinders a little bit better um, just because of like the slow petrification. So you're still mm-hmm. trying to fight. You're still trying to make those saving throws, but you just kind of keep getting worse and worse until eventually you're just a piece of rock. <laughs> yep. And, well, if you keep failing your, your saving throws. Well, and, and the the thing is, is that that as your as your dexterity gets lower and lower, your armor class gets worse because you no longer have as much dexterity bonus to it. So it becomes easier for the cockatrice to hit you. And so you have to just hope that you you uh, you maintain that saving throw. So it's a it's an interesting um, uh, challenge to be in because as the more that you get hit and fail your saving throws, the easier it is for you to get hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, it can make uh, for a little bit of a vicious cycle. Yeah. So let's um, let's talk about uh, encounters that uh, that we we would have here um, in the in the bestiary. It says temperate plains. I typically just take that to mean that it's going to be in warmer climates. I would still have them potentially be available in forests and stuff like that, just because they are flying creatures, so they may want to nest inside a tree or something like that. Um, and because they are small, they're not going to be hunters for uh for targets the size of the players so it's not like they're going to be um hunting them down and and like being like oh look there's my next meal or anything like that like we were talking about with the the t-rex and stuff like that they're eating bugs and smaller smaller creatures and stuff like that so it's not going to be a, a hunt right yeah, they're not they're not specifically going to go after your players unless they have rabies or something like that. Um and then maybe, who knows? I don't know if monstrosities can catch rabies. <laughs> um survey says. <laughs> yeah, it's uh so yeah, they're they're not going to be going to be going after your party per se, but your party could stumble on them or maybe there's a cockatrice that's uh you know, killing a bunch of chickens at this farmer's house, and he wants you to help him and and uh, and you know deal with the problem so that his chickens stop dying. Yep. And and so yeah, a lot of it is going to be going into the cockatrice's territory, whether it's because you've been hired by the farmer or you just stumble upon it. And really, the 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 fight with the cockatrice comes because they feel threatened, and so they're just gonna they're just gonna go into. Uh, into crazy attack mode uh, because they feel threatened. Um, I, I like. I want to talk a little bit about how to maybe set up an encounter with the cockatrice. I, I feel like their petrification ability makes for some interesting ways to um, to set up an upcoming encounter, especially if the if the players don't know um, what lives in this area. Uh, so. Because they have a lot of petrification, I feel like a lot of the wildlife in the area may just abandon the area or have been petrified slash eaten. And so um, I, as you approach the area, you can kind of describe how how it's really quiet here and the sounds of wildlife have all gone away and, and just kind of start setting the scene at that point. Um, I just, um, I, have you done a whole lot of cockroaches? Is that something that you've done with your encounters? No, I I read one story once on a cockatrice. <laughs> That's the only reason why I even know what this thing is. But so I've got a question. So if this thing turns stuff to stone, right? Does it eat rocks or does it eat flesh? Because if it's if its primary defense mechanism is to turn things to stone, then but it's also a carnivore that kind mm-hmm. of removes something from its from its its food pool. Right. Yeah. So I I was wondering the same thing myself, and I didn't get an I didn't get an answer. Um, but being that it eats smaller prey, insects, bugs, stuff like that, I'm I'm thinking that maybe it swallows whole, and and really it's the scratch from the beak that causes something to start petrifying. So I I think that I I'm gonna guess that it's still it's not eating rocks. It's it's eating the the live bugs and stuff, but it's basically doing it. Uh, a whole like swallow without actually damaging it before before ingesting. Yeah, that's fair. I guess unless it accidentally like 
clicks the the shell of the beetle as it's swallowing it. But I mean, birds eat rocks anyway, so that's like I'm yeah. not not for sustenance, but you know, just for for digestion purposes. Um, yeah, okay, that's it's less fun because otherwise you could just have like <laughs> like statues of deer with like nibble marks in them. It's like why, <laughs> why, what is happening here? And but that would only, but your party would only see that if they like investigated the deer statue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that is that is something to kind of um, to kind of uh, continue on with how to set up an encounter is they can encounter um, statues of, of larger creatures like deer or even even people that maybe ventured into this that uh, that were not well prepared. So that could be a really cool way to, to set it up. And maybe they're thinking like, oh, there must be a Medusa here or or something like that. And then they then they encounter this little bird rat lizard thing <laughs> mm-hmm. or if you set it up in the in the shadow of the ruins of an old castle right then mm-hmm. your players might not be on edge at all right then instead of right. thinking oh there's a medusa it's like oh this used to be a beautiful garden look at these statues it's a statuary um, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're so lifelike and and then as a as a starting point um again i, I mentioned this earlier that i i like the fact that they fly because they could roost up higher in trees or stuff like that and then they could basically swoop down on unsuspecting parties and start their attack before the parties even knew that they were there if they're not uh looking into the canopy and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah definitely get a surprise attack um from the birds if they're hanging up in in the trees it would be it would be terrible for a party just could you imagine just walking along happily and six stone turning birds just drop out of the <laughs> trees on you with a surprise attack right yeah um because that's yeah they they'd hit you'd be making saves you'd have people turning to stone it would it would not be a good scenario yeah so i mean it, it can again we, we a lot of the reason that we have these these episodes is is to talk about ways that we can challenge players with the encounters that we build by using the the monsters in ways that they're I, I feel like they're really designed for, but that oftentimes DMs just kind of treat them as a bag of hit points with some special abilities. So really paying attention to um the fact that they can fly, the fact that they're territorial. They may watch uh a party come through their territory and decide that, hey, these are these are a threat to me. So I'm gonna gonna go ahead and 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 try and stonify them. Um Something important to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's the the more the more varied you can be with your with your creatures, and a lot of it, like like you said, taking a critical look at at uh, how these creatures can be used, um, it can really liven things up a little bit. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about how they fight, and uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up the episode. Uh, we've, we've been talking about um, them being territorial. They're not going to seek the party out if. Uh, if they're not in the territory, if they don't feel threatened, um, they're they're probably going to leave the party alone. But if they if the party starts going into the territory and they're like, "Oh, this is bad news," that's when they're going to go uh, go crazy on on them. <laughs> I wonder if you had a set of cockatrices that like lived in a specific area, like a, a family of them for a long extended period of time. If you would end up with like a nice big circle of statues. 
right, from things yeah. entering their territory. It would become more and more crowded with, with statues. Um, but <laughs> sorry, just just a side <laughs> thought. But so like uh, with the birds, you've got they've got a wisdom of thirteen, right? And so they also understand what works best for them for fighting. They've obviously survived to this age, whatever, however long cockatrice live. Um, yep. So they're probably going to use their beaks against creatures without armor because <clears throat> they're not going to be efficient at turning. Uh, creatures wrapped in these metal can suits into stone but that guy with the with the fancy robes over there yeah i can deal with him you know pretty quickly if if i can get a bite off and so they might or they're going to try and target the easier targets because they want to neutralize the threat they're not looking for food they're just trying to stop you in the best way that they know how and you know they've they've got some practice at it yeah, and and they understand that the 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 quicker that they take somebody out of the battle is is the better the odds in their favor. So, why not take down the easy one that uh, that uh, that we know that we can get turned to stone a little bit better. Hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, like you said, the more that they can turn into stone, um, the more beautiful their garden is, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the the faster that they can defend their their territory, um, I'm sure that they're not considering the beautification of their garden whatsoever. It probably never crosses you ne- you their never little know. minds. <laughs> with with an intelligence of two, I think I can make a pretty good guess. <laughs> yeah, and, and with that intelligence of two, they're probably not gonna understand that it's time to stop fighting. So they're just gonna keep fighting because this is their. This is their territory. They don't understand that they could just move on to another territory potentially and 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 survive another day. They're just going to keep plugging away until uh until somebody is no longer standing. Yeah, they've made their decision. Yep. <laughs> so, now uh why why I chose this one as is my favorite monster for today is um since we're releasing this episode on Thanksgiving and uh, for for Americans and and we have uh, Christmas coming up and a lot of people will have turkey for one of those meals, um, I, I feel like this is a great monster to use if you want to do uh, some sort of holiday themed um, adventure where maybe you've got a turkey revolt or something like that. <laughs> the turkey dinners are fighting back. Uh, you could you could leverage this to kind of have that kind of uh, adventure. I feel like. Yeah, that would be pretty interesting, you know, um, just a whole bunch of cockatrice. And at the end, they could, they could, you know, uh, stuff it and eat it. There you go. Yeah. So I think that's all we wanted to talk about for our favorite monsters today. I know that we, uh, we usually talk about four on the show, but the dinosaurs, we just had so much to say about the dinosaurs. So um, I'm glad we got to, got to cover those. And uh, But yeah, that's about all we had for today. Thanks for joining us. Um, happy Thanksgiving to our American friends, and uh, mm-hmm. until next time, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then. <laughs>